7.02 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Very haunting music coming back from break here. What direction it's yeah, going to go know. in. <laughs> Suspenseful. Sounds Brooding. Like the, sounds like the start of a sports documentary or something. That's true. But not a happy sports documentary. No. No. The, the, the Canucks documentary. The adversity the team is going through before they reach the championship. And then came the steroids. <laughs> And then Messier was acquired. Yeah, that's even worse. Um, I you know, So over the Christmas break, yeah, some downtime, right? A couple late nights, sitting there having an adult beverage, looking for things to watch. I need to get I, – I rewatched sports documentaries. That's how low it's gotten for me. Get some interest outside of sports. I've seen Seriously. Jordan rides the bus probably eight times. Yeah, there's, it's so easy. And it's comfort, comfortable, right? It's, you know, And you know how it's going to end. You know no there are movies ending. that – don't involve sports that you could watch and are mm. scripted as opposed to yeah the, yeah right fictional pieces of work. Yeah. I watch like what other interests do you have besides sports? Food. Like, are you into World War Two? There was a Second World War. <laughs> are you a buff of anything? No. Are you bu- are you some a, sort of a buff? Well, a sports buff. I think we outside of that. sports. Yeah, yeah. Are you a buff I, of anything? Uh, any alcohol kind of buff? buff? Is that <laughs> like like a dog likes? kid stuff yeah i'm a serial buff yeah yeah, and you like (laughs) toys and video games and that sort of thing yeah nice cozy blankets by the way the the boy got a uh, a ps5 for for christmas awesome so you got a ps5 i played it for five minutes i'm like no it's beyond (laughs) you yeah i just i just it's too late you no, know? it's not. It is. It is. It is. You kid. know what? He didn't it's do it never as a kid. No, I, too late. I, I, I did kid. play as a kid. I not at all. Pitfall doesn't count. I just, yeah, right. I just think like it's just. I played solitaire on my dad's computer. It's That's all, I've only thing. got so many years left. You know, do I really want to just dedicate so many hours to playing video games? You don't have to dedicate hours though. It's something you just pick up and play. It's a hobby. It's something you do with the kid. And have I mean, fun. some people do dedicate hours, but it's not. You don't have to. Playing with the. It's not wasted time though. He's having fun. Yeah, Try a sports he's, he's game, like, maybe. He's like, do you want to watch me play? I'm like, no. Try like an NHL <laughs> hockey game. You could pick it up for 20 minutes, play it, and not play it for I another month. It. Not interested. Not, not your interested. thing. Eh? Nope. It's a big nope. learning curve. He lost never... 18 to nothing. No. <laughs> so this I even had have a, have a golf game, and I was like, eh, I don't care. Okay. Quick, not for me. Quick reset Everyone's here. Everyone's got different interests. Halford's got one. Lee Carvello's putting Kelly. I think because it takes time <laughs> and practice to get good at these things, right? So he doesn't want to go through the effort. Mm-hmm. You have selected power drive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, quick reset here because we need to conduct some business. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Now, here's the exciting one. After years and years of drinking, the Halford and Bruff show has finally landed a beer sponsor. Yes. Uh, Say hello to Primetime, everybody. Primetime, hour two. Hour two of this show is now brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. And take it, from, take it from a guy that's worked at a craft beer store for five years. I say it's completely unbiased, just like I did with AJ's. Primetime is awesome. So everyone knows. It is awesome. Yeah, we, we've, I've, I've had those in the dressing room after hockey Everybody has yeah. had really good beer mm-hmm. in the locker. It, it is the quintessential post-game beer mm-hmm. because i mean uh, i prefer a, a dark chocolate stout myself but <laughs> the heavier the better good too <laughs> if it's not at least 10 percent, i'm not drinking it <laughs> look at how thick it is <laughs> it's like a syrup anyway yeah we're very excited to have prime time on board go check them out today 
uh, your local liquor store, or visit the brewery. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech! I got to work on that one. Okay, we got a lot to get into here. Uh, hour two of this program, Chris Peters is going to join us for a little NHL prospects talk in the back half. But uh, I do want to go over a couple of the other scores from last night. So we got to, obviously, Canucks, big 6-3 win over the Ottawa Senators before they head out on this very lengthy seven-game road swing. I didn't, They're gone until January 18th. Yeah. That's a long time to be on the road. Well, they, they got wrestling coming into Rogers Arena. Right. I forgot. We're sending, Fright night. We're sending <laughs> countless losers to that on Friday night. <laughs> Friday night. It'll be Smackdown. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it's you a, go into the arena and they smack you, and they're like, what are you doing at a wrestling event? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. better to do with your life? Anyway. Uh, well, we lost some listeners there. That's fine. Uh, so we went over that. Uh, Canucks win 6-3. We went over the Oilers. Six win in a row for the Oilers. We wanted to talk. We needed to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We did that. They've got points in their last nine games as they move into uh, one of the top spots in the Central Division. How about the Calgary Flames? More specifically, how about Jonathan Huberto? He finally scored a goal yesterday. <laughs> dun, 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 18 games <laughs> without a goal. He had 12 games without a point. And I look, here's the thing. If there were, We said, is there a Winnipeg version of Drance? I don't know. I wouldn't bother looking for one. Is there a Calgary Drance? that should be pointing out every single day how inefficient this contract is and how big of an albatross this is. That is the worst contract in sports, perhaps, all due respect <laughs> to Russell Wilson. Uh, it, it's unbelievable how uh, long yeah. and onerous and how much this guy means to this team and how little he is producing. And it seems like he is so lost. I mean, it was great last night. They basically fired Daryl Sutter in a lot of ways because of Jonathan Huberto. Not solely because, a part. but it was a big part of it. And Huberto Alan was, Walsh did his part. Huberto was reportedly involved in the hiring of Ryan Huska. Like, he was involved in, or there were at the very least not the hiring, you know, the general manager went to Huberto and said, like, you know, what kind of coach would you like? And that's why you might have heard... Nikita Zadorov, when he was still a Calgary Flame, expressed some frustration. Like, guys, we got, like, you know, we didn't like the, uh, like the hard-ass coach. We, you yeah. know, we, we're, we didn't play well for him. Now, now we're not playing well for the friendly coach. Like, who are we going to play well for? Uh, but the Calgary Flames did get a win last night, so they're good for ed- them. They're kind of inching their way back into relevancy. Like, they're, they've won two in a row. They've won five of their last seven. I still wouldn't consider them like you know, pushing on the edge of the playoff chase. But as we mentioned yesterday, there's so many mid-teams in the Western Conference in that mushy middle that anyone that kind of puts together a streak, like, for mm-hmm. example, the Seattle Kraken, goes 7-0-2 in their last nine or whatever, and then they're suddenly kind of back on the fringes and in the mix. But I didn't realize how close they'd come to that second wildcard spot. Because that second wildcard spot's yeah. just kind of hanging there for the taking. I do think the Oilers are eventually going to take one of these spots, though. Oh, yeah. I you do, know? too. They're the best of seems, that. Yeah. They're the best of the mids. Inevitable. As it was. Anyway, one other score I wanted Just like to pass us. along. Best of the mids. Best of the mids. Um, the Caps had a kind of a crazy game yesterday. Alex Ovechkin scored. Uh, they had a Canuck-like first period against the Penguins last night. They scored mm-hmm. four in the first period. Looked like they were coasting to victory. But then, like the Canucks, they let their foot off the pedal for the final 40 minutes and 
Pittsburgh almost came back. They didn't. They well, lost. That was a lot more different. I mean, they, Pittsburgh made it within. Made yes, it I know it was a lot game. more different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I was just making a joke and trying to allude to the local hockey squadron. Uh, so the 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 Penguins okay, lose. You get, you know, Penguins lose get four like three. That, okay. Penguins lose four three. OV scored. OV scored. I mentioned that part. Yep. Yeah. So the the reason I wanted to bring this up is I'm starting to look a lot at teams that are falling out of playoff contention or aren't in it to begin with, because I want to know what the seller's market is going to look like as we go into the trade deadline. We mentioned that the flames beat the wild yesterday. The wild are this close, this close to waving the white flag on this season. I think because right now Gustafson's out week to week. And that means they're going to have to rely on the is Mark Andre Fleury. No, Mark Giordano is the oldest player in the NHL. Fleury's the second oldest. I think. But He's up there. He's oldest goalie. Flurry is going to have to shoulder the load for a while. Kaprizov is out. I, you know, they've already made their coaching change in Minnesota. I feel like they could enter that bidding to become one of the early sellers. I don't know what's going to happen in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh always intrigues me because of the ties to the Canucks organization. Like, if a guy ever coached, managed, or played in Pittsburgh... He's on the Canucks radar at this point. That's how I like to assume it. But I don't know how it's going to play out there. The I more... know a lot of people are talking about Jake Gensel. I am. I, I would like that very much. Because he's a pending UFA. Um, I don't know if it'll happen, but I would like it. I don't know. The Penguins The Penguins are just like, they're all in on everything. So for me, it's kind of like, you know, wouldn't you try and sign them? If they're going to miss, hypothetically if they, if, they, if they don't, If they don't keep Jake Gensel, they've lost one of their best players. Right, but and then where are they? Well, I haven't I, they made the commitment to just be all in. Yeah, I just wonder if you need to find a guy that can do what he does that just isn't going to make as much money. Like Jake Gensel in free agency to me is a concern, right? He's what on yeah. five mil right now. He's about to put up a hundred point season. Possibly, I know. I know. That's why. <laughs> are I would you going like to replace it. that? That's yeah. how I, I would like it. Well, they're going to have to make some tough but the, decisions but for all, cheaper. Right. But it, but where it are all, you going to find that? But what, it all for, for cheaper. You just said they need to find a replacement for cheaper. How no, do no, they get a no. hundred point they guy? They need to find a reasonable facsimile for cheaper. Like, could we get a guy that can maybe put up seventy points but isn't going to do it? That's whatever not a replacement for a hundred point player, though. You're right, Greg. It's not. <laughs> not a replacement for a 100-point player. I mean, th- this was always the big question when the Penguins went in like they did this season. And frankly, uh, it went before this season. It went back to their decision to keep Malkin and keep Latang and sign those guys to contracts with term. Like, Chris Latang is 36 years old, and he's got five years left on his deal. Malkin's 37. He's got two more after this one. Um, and it is all um, the, the, obviously because they've had this core that has won multiple Stanley Cups, and mm. it starts with Sidney Crosby, and they've made the decision to try and be as good as they possibly can while Sid is still with the team. So how can you justify letting Jake Gensel go if he is one of your – is he a top three player on that team? He might be. I mean, I guess the other part of it is might like, be better than what happens right – if they can't afford him, like they know right now that they can't bring him back because yeah, they can't afford true. him, right? right? They're like, yeah, we made this Eric Carlson deal. That yeah. seems like a bad. Well, idea. they got they got some pretty big cap commitments in Pittsburgh. I don't know if we're all aware of this, but they have a lot of high end guys that are getting paid. They made a commitment. They made a massive commitment to Tristan Jari. I know. And he Who got was yanked. the best out there? Yeah, yanked last night. But it was a, it was a dumb deal to commit that many years to Tristan Jari. Well, to commit that much term to any goalie is a yes. bit of a risk. But I think I, if you're a team like. Pittsburgh you have to try and find value somewhere and I think the most sometimes the easiest place to find value is in net and then sometimes that's what also is your Achilles and kills you because you haven't invested enough in a goalie it's classic classic chicken and egg type thing. but but seriously how are they gonna how would they clear cap space 
probably trading Jay Gensel, probably. Yeah, At but the then deadline the, to the yeah. Vancouver Canucks. There you go. Boom. I just solved the Canucks season. No, no, no. I'm talking about for the for the Penguins going forward into next season. I that job is going to be so complex because they've also said like Kyle Dubas. Oh, and by the way, you're also responsible for building like the next generation of the He's Penguins. Signed a seven year contract. Yeah, and that seven year contract wasn't to keep Sidney Crosby of Jenny Malkin and Chris Letang together for the next seven years. It was mm-hmm. to figure out how you're going to adjust to life after them. They've and already it- traded their first round draft pick. Yeah, yeah. So they don't have that one. Um, I, but the, the reason that I brought this up is because uh, Sat and Bick yesterday post game show, after talking about Vancouver's six three win over the Ottawa Senators, which was very impressive, a five goal first period. It seems like after every victory now, the excitement, the anticipation, the rarity, to be honest, of the Canucks potentially buying at the deadline, going in to the playoffs as a team that is added and is being rewarded yeah. for what they've done. It's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. It's actually really exciting for me because I think the last three trade, de- trade deadlines I've looked at, I'm like, oh, there's all the other teams having fun. And there's the Canucks selling Luke Shen. Like, right. it's that's and it's it's frustrating because third round pick, baby. You know, you're stockpiling assets <laughs> that aren't real human beings, they're just picks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and you start looking around, and I am very so that, then what happens is you start getting intrigued, not just by what the Canucks and what your team are going to do, but you start looking at what other teams are falling out and what other teams are going to be buyers and who's going to affect the price of the market and how are you going to adjust if a team makes its moves. And the big caveat in all of this is that Jim Rutherford is sitting up there with years of experience Mm -hmm. of buying before the deadline and having it work out in the playoffs. There hasn't been. So is Rutherford and Alvin just going to go nuts and be like, we're trading Hoaglander and we're trading a bunch of other guys you thought we were going to keep and we're going to go all in this year? Is it possible that this year we're in right now is going to be the Canucks' best chance to go deep in the playoffs for the next three or four years? It's possible that Rutherford looks at it. It's possible that Rutherford looks at it and he's like, we got something. Why not here? But yeah, the team's yeah. a lot well, better than we thought. Let's go all in. And look yeah. at the competition, right? You're not going to have a year where it's kind of open for the taking like this every year. Pedersen, yeah. Pedersen's going to get paid. Hronik's going to get paid. And if they don't get paid by the Canucks, they're off. Wesley Financial Group. Which is problematic for next season. Everyone will say, oh, but the salary cap's going up. Yeah, but <laughs> that's going to be chewed up immediately by the raises on two guys that are already on the team. Mm-hmm. So it is very possible that this season, the last of Petey's bridge contract, the last of Philip Peronic at a cap hit of $4.4 million, this could be the season that that organization looks at and goes, guys, like, I'm not saying we're dead after this. You're not saying we're going to fold up shop after this. We might not have a better chance. But we might not have a better chance to do it than right now with everyone rolling the way they're rolling. If you want an instructive history lesson. That's nuts to say. It's crazy. Considering where we were before the season Mm -hmm. began, (laughs) talking like this now, it's nuts. If you want an instructive history lesson on this, when Rutherford was the general manager of that Carolina team, now granted, it was 20 years ago almost. It was 05-06. It was right out of the lockout. But Carolina came out in the first three months of the season, and they had 24 wins by December. They were, I mean, look at how many of the Canucks have right now. I think it's around 24. They were, without a doubt, one of the best teams in the NHL through the first three months of the season. Mm -hmm. And then Rutherford, despite the fact that it wasn't a perfect team, they didn't have a goalie, really. 
That was the year Cam Ward came out of nowhere in the playoffs. Like, he played during the regular season, obviously. Yeah. But they, they were very unproven in net. Rutherford went and added Doug Waite and Dr. Mark Reckie, and they just took off. And it was one of those things where they kind of caught lightning in a bottle because they weren't a perennial Stanley Cup contender after that. But for one year, they said, you know what? We're rolling. We got a good thing. Here's a key point. We're healthy. Yeah. We've got all our guys firing, and we don't know Jinx. what next year's. And we don't know. No, I'm talking about the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, okay. we don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's a totally different story. I this doesn't relate at all to the local hockey squad. Right? Uh, Mark in White Rock asks a good question okay. regarding Jake Gensel. Do you guys think we will ever see a player resign a super cheap contract to stay somewhere they love to play and love to live and to help their team allocate money elsewhere? realizing they're still making millions to play hockey. I mean, we've kind of seen it. Didn't Kevin LeBanc do that in San yeah, Jose? And that was dumb. When you're young... <laughs> There's the answer right When there. you're young, you got to take the money. But, like, Bergeron could have been playing f- for more than he was making At in Boston. End, yeah. Mark Giordano, I think, has taken less money to stay with Toronto Maple Leafs because he wants to play there. Um, you know, it has happened. And, by the way, Marcus Naslin was on... Um, the intermission yesterday with Murph mm-hmm. and my buddies and I started texting back and forth. We were like, Nazi just walked away from that money that he was getting from the Rangers. The Rangers, yeah. He just, know, like, just he's, stopped. He's like, I'm done. Yeah, he's like, I don't feel like I can play at the level and I wanted some young guys to get, you know, um, the opportunity. And man, like, we don't see that very often anymore, do we? No, not at all. I mean, yeah. a little bit more I mean, maybe. Luongo, at- Luongo retired. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys that have walked away. I mean, Dustin Bufflin just walked away at the end, and I yeah. don't know what the reasons were. Mm-hmm. He's probably never going to speak about it. But some guys at the but end, he walked he away to go from fishing. The, he he yeah. walked. He did walk away from the money. Like he he yeah. wasn't like on like fake LTIR or whatever, was he? I don't uh, think he was. I think he just walked. No, away. No, he just walked away from yeah. the money. I think there might have been a grievance. I don't remember exactly how it went down. I just remember he was. But he Bufflin was kinda... Bufflin himself was like the total the the type of person, not player, the type of person that would do that because he's. He lives a simple life. He just wants to fish. You know? He's made his money. He's got a boat. Mm-hmm. He's got a rod. He's a pro fisher now. Yeah. So um, I always go back and forth because, um, you know, when when you're when you're looking at a contract, you should stick up for yourself and your family because that money's going to go to someone else. It's it's also know? hard. But he- also, but also, hold on a sec. But also, I have, I have a lot of trouble with people that are like, these guys should get, every time you go into a contract, you should try and get as much as you possibly can. I'm not just talking about hockey here. I'm like, you know what? There isn't a huge difference between having $180 million and $220 million, right? Um, Like, are you really going to go to the wall for that? Let's say there's a team that you want to play for, and they're going to give you a lot of money, but not as much as a team that, you kind of don't really want to play for. Which one are you going to choose there? Right. Uh, there is that angle. Like, what's the difference between 180 and 220 million? Yeah. The answer is 40 million. But, but it's like, but, I get it. But it's, it's, it's not. Like, you're still rich. There's an element right? of this that guys that are super hardwired competitively, it's hard for them to, like, not want to be the highest paid guy. I think a lot of them do look at it as bragging rights and you know alpha dog status yeah. i mean and it you know where it's prevalent and that and that sort of ego has driven them their whole lives like that ego it's not a bad thing ego, i want to be the best i well, want to be paid be. like the best well it can be yeah, it, can it can also be, be a good i mean thing, the perfect right? example is russell wilson right his ego got way ahead of him 
And he started thinking about his legacy. And how, I remember when he went to Denver, he's like, we're going to win multiple Super Bowls. No, right. you're going to be run out of this league in two years. Yeah. It right. also and got that, him, but it also got him a gargantuan contract extension, right? But like Talked it, a good game, forced a good extension. I, everything I'm just in life, every, but right? everything in life is a balance. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't really see that the way we debate things. No, it's either one side or the other. Everything is a balance. Like, yes, you want to take care of yourself, but you also want to have a situation where you're, you know, happy day to day and winning because that yeah. seems to matter. Yeah, uh, but to answer Mark in White Rock's question, like I think you will see it from time to time later in guys careers when you're when you're in your early 20s and I mean you got to remember too especially in the National Hockey League the system is so restrictive for young players mm-hmm. like you can't really go out and earn like capital E A R N in your like Connor Bedard right now yeah Connor Bedard's contract is capped he can't go and get you know he's looking around he's like look at what some of these you know quarterbacks are doing in their first couple of years, and then they pl- they're out of it, and they're getting $250, million deals. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, strung along by my general manager, and I got to go to arbitration maybe. They're going to talk me down and say, you know, the flaws in my game. I, I don't think he's going to have to go to arbitration. Obviously, he's not going to have to go to arbitration. <laughs> Power to the, to the people, though. I agree, Halford. Pardon me? Power to the people, though. I agree. There needs to be more rights for the individual. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, I I always come back to this in the NHL. But that's always the PA's fault, right? They're like, you know, when when you're negotiating a contract, you're like, who can we screw here? Yep. Right? Like The new guys. The young guys. (laughs) (laughs) I have no say. Kid, I know you're the face of the league, but you're making 990000 But I don't know you. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Just a clarification, by the way, you're talking about Bufflin. There was no grievance. They just mutually agreed to terminate the contract with a year left. Right. There you go. Um, okay, so let's do a quick reset here. Uh, coming up on the other side, Chris Peters is going to join us for some World Juniors talk. We're going to talk all the NHL prospects currently still in the tournament. That means none of the Canadian ones. But three Vancouver Canucks prospects all playing for Team Sweden, including Jonathan Lekaramaki, who's had a terrific tournament thus far. 8 o'clock hour, we're going to dive back into the Canucks talk with Randy Janda, the color analyst for the Canucks, right here on Sportsnet 650. Lots more to go. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-one on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full of flavor without compromise. It's at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery see how it's made. Um, we got Chris Peters coming up here in about 10 minutes time to talk a little world juniors, NHL prospects, the three Canucks prospects playing for team Sweden. I did want to kind of do some early, what we learns NFL version. So for two things, one, both stories are interesting and kind of hilarious Two, <laughs> uh, I want to get the momentum going for eight 30 when we're going to do what we learned humanoid edition, get yours in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. 
What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Hashtag it WWL. No prizing today, you jackals. You'll just have to send it in. Uh, the consolation prizes, you could be on the radio. We'll read your text. Anyway, um, the first NFL, what we learned, was I learned that Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper was fined $300,000 for throwing a drink at a fan over the weekend. And uh, that represents less than 1% of 1% of his overall wealth. So while the fine sounds like a lot mm-hmm. to us normies. That is an expensive drink. $300,000 for chucking a drink. Yeah. I would have been rich back in the day. Um, so the game was in Jacksonville. And Tepper was in a private box. And I guess. The- Everbank Stadium. Okay, thank you. I didn't know the name of the stadium. So I guess the Jacksonville fans were. Giving them the gears or something uh, because yes. the Panthers were on their way to uh, their 14th loss of the season. They're, fall to 2-14. and 14. They were getting shut out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Um, David Tepper is actually an interesting character. He is – a lot of people may not have heard of him, but he is one of the richest owners in pro sports. He's the second richest like owner in the is, NFL. Yeah, like he's really rich. He's a hedge fund guy. Um, so he's a lot, he's a bit like Steve Cohen and how they made their money. Steve Cohen, of course, the owner of the New York Mets. And it's interesting that both those guys have taken over teams and people were really excited about them because like, whoa, deep pockets, we can do anything. Mm -hmm. And the Mets were a disaster this year and pretty much have been under, uh, Steve Cohen and the Panthers are one of the most dysfunctional NFL teams out there. Mm -hmm. Um, they're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Bears are getting their first pick, and the Bears are going to pick first overall because of it, unless they trade that pick. The Panthers have fired multiple coaches now under David Tepper. Tepper took over in 2019. He's fired three coaches midseason. Right. And, and the they most- don't – so they don't have a coach now going forward. Um, well, they have a coach. Well, they have an interim coach. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have a full-time head coach. So I'm pretty sure, you know, like they're going to find a guy. But – I'll be curious to see if there's any coaches that are like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to work for this guy because he meddles and he makes like no bones about it. Like he's involved in the team. He wants to be involved in the team, but his personality um, is kind of like that old school wall street Mm -hmm. says whatever he wants. Like he's got, so uh, to give you an idea of the type of guy he is, he got a gift from someone. Okay. And A-Dog, you'll find this interesting. Oh, he's Ooh. probably not listening. No, he's listening. Um, this guy got a gift of a giant brass set of testicles. Mm. And they are on his desk. And apparently, like, he rubs them for good luck sometimes if he's making a trade. Like, not a, not an NFL trade, like a Wall Street trade. Why, sure. why would I find this? Yeah, why Andy? And or, how are you connecting me to this? Because you like funny stories. Oh, right? okay. Like, oh, uh, yeah. okay. And you're, it's juvenile. And you're like rubbing and, and you know how every it day, is juvenile. Every true. day is like a what we learned. Like, so, uh, so this guy, um, after the financial crisis, made a lot of money because he bet on a recovery, mm-hmm. essentially. He said, like, things will be fine. So he is kind of a guy that goes in and makes some really high-risk, dangerous trades, hence the brass set of balls on his desk. Right, but, balls. But he, he, so he rubs these brass testicles but before he, every major move. Yeah. But he's also wow. a guy that's like, um, I try that. he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, despite the fact that he's a super rich dude, because 
he didn't go to Harvard. He didn't go to Wharton. He didn't go to any of these top schools. He went, he grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. He was a Steelers fan. He actually originally had a minority share in the Pittsburgh Steelers before he bought the Panthers. He went to the University of Pittsburgh for his undergrad, and then he did his MBA at Carnegie Mellon, right? And then he goes to Wall Street, and he's surrounded by all these, you know, Ivy League guys, and and he starts making more money than them. They look down their nose at the well, guy from the Rust Belt. They actually did. They actually did because he worked at Goldman Sachs, which is kind of like the, you know, like I don't know if I what's the sports analogy of Goldman Sachs? Like you know how St. Louis Cardinals fans think they're better than everyone? Yep. Goldman Sachs is kind of like that, and he was, um, you know, he was coarse and he was loud and he was and, and anyway, he wanted to make partner. And they said, nah, you're not our type of guy. And then all he did was leave and like make billions and billions of dollars. And now he's living out his dream because he was a huge Steelers fan growing up. Yeah. Obviously couldn't buy the Steelers, bought the Carolina Panthers. But now I wonder if the NFL is just like, ah, this is like, we let this guy into our club and he's throwing <laughs> drinks on fans. Like, I mean, what the, the hell is going on with this guy? The NFL's bar for acceptable owners is real low. It took him forever to get rid of Dan Snyder. But you bring up a good point because. Oftentimes, the things that make these guys wildly successful in business is counterintuitive to running a professional sports franchise. Mm -hmm. Because these guys, like Tepper in particular, thrive. And sometimes I think there's maybe even a rush of everything's got, like there's risk involved. They actually need chaos to make money. These guys need, they need chaos in the markets to make money. They want people out there panicking. Mm -hmm. So they can make their trades. But in the world of professional sports, especially at the coaching position, it's all about stability and continuity and practices and staples and non-negotiables. Do you see where I'm going with this? But you can't keep changing coaches with the regularity that he does because it's always a new regime with new ideas and it's a new day for the franchise and we're going to do things differently than the previous guy. And it becomes this continuous chain and cycle of events where you never get comfortable and that's tough for organizations to build and to grow and to mature and to bring young players in Mm -hmm. like what do you think Bryce Young's thinking right now yeah when he got drafted he had Frank Reich as his head coach we're gonna be together forever it's gonna be great I was an NFL quarterback I was a good offensive coordinator I can teach you Mm -hmm. Bryce Young how to be a good NFL quarterback well he's gone after what 11 games they went one and ten it is a mess of a franchise, and I will be very curious to see who the next head coach is going to be because you mentioned guys that are going to look at this and be like, why do I want to work for the brass testicles guy? <laughs> and one of them <laughs> was... Guy's got big balls on his desk, literally. Yeah, one of them was Ben Johnson, not the sprinter. Ben Johnson is the offensive coordinator for the Lions, mm-hmm. and the Lions have this really fun offense, and he's kind of a hotshot coordinator. He got interviewed for the gig. And he was like, nope, I'm going to stick with the Detroit Lions. The first time anyone has ever... I think he actually turned down the interview. He said, like, I Oh, he turned down the interview. I thought he turned down the gig. I thought he got... He had, he had a, an invitation to interview with uh, David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. Well, he was a guy that just said, like, I like where I'm at right now. We're going to do good things. Something that no one has ever said about Detroit before. He was the first guy to ever say it. And there we are. Anyway, uh, we didn't get to the second What We Learned football because we got to talk to Chris Peters in a second here. But uh, we will do it in What We Learned, which are coming up at 8.30. Get yours in. Don Barlamer text line 650-650. Let's go to the phone lines now. Very happy to be joined by our next guest. Uh, Friend of the program, senior content creator for Flow Hockey, our NHL prospects expert chris peters here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 morning chris how are you 
I'm doing well, guys. It's 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 evening here, uh, but it is. Uh, I'm happy to be joining you in the uh, the the dreary morning. I'm sure that it is in uh, across Canada. I'm not happy about the dreariness. Just uh, you know, I I understand that there could be some hurt feelings out there right now. Yeah, Chris, what do you think went wrong for Canada at the end of the day? You know, it, I think it's a, a lot of things. You know, you can look at a lot of different things. And, you know, the, the, the easy one is to say, well, hey, there's so many guys that are in the NHL right now. and But you're still Canada, and you should still beat Czechia in the quarterfinals of the World Junior Championship. You should certainly do it when you have the, the, the best draft prospects, when you have a number of first-round draft picks. And so I don't think that, you know, certainly nobody here is, is, is crying over uh, over that because, you know, that's that's – everybody's kind of dealing with that. Slovakia is missing their two best players. USA is missing a player. You know, there are injuries that happen over the course of the tournament and you lose players. So everybody has something to deal with. And you know, normally Canada is going to have the depth to do it, but uh, you know, there's actually probably a lot of different issues that, that happened even well before the tournament. I, I don't think the roster construction itself was bad. You know, I don't think that they left a lot on the table in terms of what was available to them. What I do think though, is that they didn't necessarily have, the tools and, and one of the things that we've been uh, tools to, to make the decisions uh, in terms of deployment and, and knowing the team. And, um, and certainly there was an execution element from the players themselves, but, you know, we think back to how COVID and other things have impacted things. And, you know, hockey Canada decided not to send a team to the Holinka a couple of years ago. Um, they also did not have a summer world junior camp this year, which they often do have in these, settings and and you know i think that that may have been a budgetary decision obviously there's been a lot of you know lost revenue from sponsorships pulling out and different things like that but they didn't have that camp and and that's a great opportunity to learn the players and to get that that familiarity and different things so i've heard that from a couple of scouts that 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 not having that camp in the summer um is probably you know it's worse for the coaching staff because then they don't get that that early look at these players so um i do think that's part of it um you know but beyond that i think that there were some depth issues they didn't necessarily have the blue line that they were expecting to have um you know had to make some changes on the fly there uh didn't really you know have have the depth to, to stay with teams and then you know i think there's also a situation up really it wasn't an issue until last night but the goaltending situation is is continues to be a source sore spot and one where you know canada doesn't necessarily always have um a plethora of great options available to them uh, i don't think that they left anyone home that should have been here that would have helped in that department uh, but that seems to be a bigger issue that has to be addressed uh, further down the line than at the World Junior level. I mean, it's hard not to look at the scoring leaderboard, like the top scores in the tournament, see like there's a million Americans up there, there's a bunch of Swedes, there's a couple of Slovaks, and there's one Canadian, and it's Celebrini. And then you look at all the other guys behind him, like Geeky and Mitten and Potrus and everybody else, and they just didn't score, plain and simple. Like the top six forward group, it was one guy, Celebrini, and then a bunch of guys that just failed to put the puck in the back of the net. Yeah, it was interesting. And then Celebrini also was averaging, you know, less than 17 minutes a night, you know, and then you're like, how is, how is the guy that's leading the team scoring not getting more ice and different things like that. But I think it was part, partially to try to get the other guys going. And, you know, when you have, I do think that there were some questionable decisions in terms of power play deployment, which players were in the top six versus which players were in the bottom six, you know, the amount of ice time that, that high scoring players like Matthew Wood and Carson Rakoff got, you can question that as well um, in terms of, of, of those types of things. But still, you know, especially in this year's tournament where there are so many missing players due to NHL or injury or anything else, 
um, you know, you have to find a way to score. And, you know, you mentioned USA has, has been scoring in bunches. They have a, they had a bit of an easier group than Canada did. They didn't have Finland or Sweden in their group like Canada did. But still, you know, especially in the preliminary stage, you know, look at how difficult the game was against Germany. And, you know, one of the things that, that the Hockey Canada people said today was, you know, we just weren't getting to the middle enough. And I have never heard that about a Canadian team ever before at this level. So, you know, and when you have guys like Connor Geeky, when you have guys like uh, Fraser Minton, you should, and Matthew Wood and, and others, you know, you should expect to be able to get to the middle and be able to win from the, win the game in the interior. And they really never did that. And, um, you know, and you look at just the, the, the talent that they have, this, this team did not lack talent. I can promise you that they had enough talent to get there, but, you know, in the end, I just don't think that they ever really connected as a group and didn't connect when they needed to. And then when the games got harder, they started to really kind of get nervous and, and look nervous. And it's unfortunate, you know, certainly to lose early in the quarterfinals. But, you know, the way that they've been playing, it would have been a really difficult thing to try to beat either the U.S. or Sweden or even if Finland a second time, you know, just because of, of the way that they played here. So, um, you know, in the end, I don't think you want to lose to that Czech team because they had a lot of uh, – they didn't really have a, a great depth either. But now, you know, you're kind of just left picking up the pieces. Did Celebrini live up to expectations? I think he did. I mean, I think that his toughest game obviously was yesterday and that, you know, he maybe didn't have the – that that moment that you that that he had kind of shown in in previous games where you know he basically said okay well everybody nobody else is going so I got to get going and um and find a goal and he had to do that against Germany and he had to do that against even Latvia and different things so you know he he did have that I mean production wise you know he was at expectations I think that you know he also did well with the ice time that he was given um I don't think Canada's power play ever really got to the level that they wanted to in terms of their scoring ability because uh, Celebrini created a boatload of chances and had plenty himself so that is you know that is the expectation of you know that that more points would have come there um, but here are the things that I that I did see from Celebrini that you know give me great confidence I mean I, I've obviously been watching him very closely for the last couple of years him being in the USHL and now college hockey um, he is you know he is one of those guys that just finds a way to make things happen. He can take over games. And I, I just don't know if he ever got into that mode here. Um, I don't know it, with the exception of the games that I mentioned. So, um, you know, but that's, that's going to be interesting to kind of see where things go from here, because um, I think that he is, uh, he is certainly a, a, a talented player. He's a very competitive player. He's a good two-way player. Um, and, you know, when you when when they talk about how Canada had a hard time getting to the interior, that's actually something that I think he is he needs to get praised more about is that he is such a good job. He does such a good job between the faceoff dots. So uh, a lot to be interested in with him. And, you know, I don't think this is going to hurt his draft stock. I don't necessarily think that it helped his draft stock, uh, but I still feel very strongly that there's really nobody close to him in this current draft class. We're speaking to Chris Peters from Flow Hockey, NHL prospects expert here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So, Chris, you mentioned like, a dark day for Canada and everything. But here in Vancouver, the uh, 
we paid a lot of attention to this Swedish team, given all the Canucks prospects currently playing on it. And with them advancing, uh, good times at least out here on the West Coast. Now, you're in Sweden for this tournament. Uh, just give me an idea. Like, set the stage for the listeners. What's it been like? How's this Swedish team played and handled the pressure of playing in front of a home crowd? How have the three Canucks prospects look? And in particular, how impressed have you been with Jonathan Lekaramaki and what he's done while the Swedes are hosting this tournament? Yeah, you know, this has been, it's been awesome. I mean, to be in Sweden when Sweden has a chance to win a gold medal is a pretty cool thing. And, you know, one of the things that's been interesting here is that that one of the storylines in Sweden is how much the World Juniors has mattered this time around. This is not a a thing where, you know, they they sold out a ton of games. I think it was Malmo might have been the last time they had the tournament and, and, you know, they were struggling to fill buildings. And here for the Sweden games, it's packed and it's loud and it's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the, the, the senior national team is playing here in Gothenburg. And so you see that. And, and the, the after they beat Canada, you know, I was just getting back from the other arena because I was covering USA in that game and getting back and just seeing, you know, the sea of, of, of gold jerseys out there was, was pretty impressive as well. So I, I think that that was something that, uh, uh, you know, will stick with me just to see the, the, the exuberance and, and everybody here. Um, in terms of how they played, you know, I think that Lekaramaki is actually, he's, he's had some moments he's had, he's obviously, you know, produced, he's been able to, uh, provide some, uh, some good opportunities for this team. I didn't love the way that he played yesterday. I thought he was a little too passive in terms of, yes, he did score, but like towards the, the end of the game, I thought during regulation, he had a couple of looks at the net where he passed and set a shot, which just to me said, maybe there were some nerves. Uh, involved in that because they did play that tight game against Switzerland, which would have absolutely ruined the vibe here <laughs> if they <laughs> lost that game. Um, you know, but that was that was pretty impressive to see him. You know, kind of come through and and do what he did. Um, you know, and and have a good shift and and help them help them ultimately win the game. I think that you know he, he came back and you know the thing about him is he's had such an interesting ride as a prospect, an interesting kind of development curve. And I think that we're seeing him really continue on this upward trend that we've seen over the last two years, which, which I think is very good. Um, you know, you want to see him do that. Uh, so I, I like, I like what we've seen from him there. Um, you know, I've really liked Willander as well. Uh, you know, he's getting good minutes. He's getting opportunities. He's, he's had some big goals. He's or had a big goal and, and really has continued to, to really lock things down. Um, you know, and then the same thing with, with, uh, Elias Pettersson, the other Pettersson, um, you know, it's, it's been fun to kind of watch him grow as a defenseman as well, playing significant minutes for this team, not a guy that you're going to be expecting a lot of points from, but he's going to bring a physical presence and he's going to bring some good defense and they clearly trust him a lot. He ended up playing 19 minutes in the game against, uh, Sweden and, you know, or in Switzerland rather. And so, you know, in, in a game where they needed him, he gave him a good stop and, and, and was, was helpful there. So, you know, I think overall you have to be very pleased with this. And, and to see the Swedish team, I mean, between them and the U.S., it's really tough to pick a favorite. I think Sweden might have a little bit more balance than USA does. But at the same time, uh, you know, am I secretly hoping that that's the gold medal game? Uh, yeah, because that's going to be an absolute epic showdown. And I... I think it would still be uh, a great level of intrigue for everybody watching, even if Canada's not in it. So uh, hoping that happens, but if it doesn't, uh, you know, that's, that's hockey. So we've, we've had, uh, we've had some weird moments at this world juniors, the weird juniors. We've been talking about timelines for all three of those players. And it sounds like 
Lekaramaki and Elias Pettersson could come to the AHL if their season in Europe ends um, early enough. Uh, that's possible. Um, when it comes to Willander, do you expect him to be back in school for another year next year? I do. I do. And I think he should be, um, you know, I think that he's, he's taken a big step. He had to make the adjustment to college hockey and the North American hockey. He's done it very well. You know, the fact is, is that he, because he decided to go the college route, he had to play the, the Swedish U 20 league um, for more time than you normally would as a player of his caliber would. Um, and so you want to see him in tougher situations where he's playing against older, stronger competition. So that to me is, is really where he belongs. Um, and, you know, I think that another year of building strength, of building experience, of getting another opportunity at the world juniors of, of, you know, being the guy at Boston university, because we assume that, you know, Lane Hudson may not be there next year. Um, then, you know, that gives him more of an opportunity to, to grow into a number one defense kind of mold, but to see the way that he's adjusted to college hockey and the, and, and how he's built over the course of the season, I mean, I think that what what was most likely to happen is he plays another year of college and then he won't have to spend as much time in the AHL, maybe no time in the AHL, because he's such a brilliant skater. He's so smart. He's a great defender. And I think his offensive game is going to continue to grow as well. How big an adjustment do you think it'll be for Lecker Mackey to get um, playing on the smaller ice in North America? It's going to be an adjustment. I think the thing is, is that he can hang out on the perimeter a little too much, and that's going to be an adjustment for him because a lot of the goals are going to be coming in from tighter to the net, and he's going to have to get there. Um, I don't think that he shies away from that. I don't think that he's soft. I just think that there's, there are some things that in his game that are a little too perimeter. And at the end, you know, that in the NHL, there's just less room to do that and, and to be effective with that. So, um, I would assume that that would probably be the toughest adjustment and just the, the lack of time and space that you have as a skilled player is adjustment for any of those guys uh, when they come over. So I think that that'll, that'll also be true for him. Chris, thanks for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the tournament. It should be a good one. Let's do this again if anything interesting happens with this Swedish team and the Canucks prospects. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks Thanks a lot for hanging. And, uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy uh, watching from there. I'll I'll do the same from here. Okay. So, yeah. we're, we're Team Sweden here in Vancouver. Yeah, go, go Sweden. Come go on, Vancouver. Swedes. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Chris Peters from Flow Hockey here on the Halford of Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. A lot more to get to in the final hour of the program. We're going to dive into the Dunbar Lumber text text message in basket, 650-650. That's coming up at 8.30 when we do what we learns. Coming up next, though, Randy Jand is going to join the program. He was on the call last night. Canucks beat the Sens 6-3 at Rogers Arena. Five goals in the first period. Randeep was on the call for all of them. We'll talk to him next. It's all coming up in the final hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.